0: Join me as I share my experience and the experiences of others so that we may see the unique gifts and talents of individuals on the autism spectrum fully recognized. Hello everyone and welcome. This is Elia with the Spectrum Strategy Group and I welcome you to today's episode. I'm uh, very excited to have Taz Cronby here with me today of Taz Thoughts and they are an autistic mental health advocate and mindful life coach practitioner. And for those of you who have been listening, I often find some amazing people on LinkedIn and Instagram and I kind of just follow the kind of work that's being done. And I get um, if I find something that is super interesting and super exciting, I I like to try and reach out. And so I appreciate uh, you, Taz, spending time with me today to talk a little bit about, um, you know, I know there's so many things we probably could have talked about, but uh, something that particularly struck me was, um, you know, trauma uh, autistic trauma specifically in the workplace. And so I have been talking about people about employment and autism and, you know, kind of what that looks like, what What are the ways to navigate the workplace and also what some of the challenges are. And I think, you know, something that's often missed is that, and I've done some work with trauma before, but that there is a um, you know, there is definitely this overlap. And so I know you have a lot of information around that. So I'm excited to talk about that. Um, But first, if you could just introduce yourself and give people a little bit of background about what you do and all that kind of fun stuff.
1: Oh yeah, thank you so much for having me today. Super excited to talk with you. Uh, So Tass, they, them, we, our pronouns doing a lot of advocacy in the disability and neurodivergent spaces. Uh, We are a uh, autistic mental health advocate diagnosed with dissociative identity disorder and complex post-traumatic stress disorder, which is why we have kind of a unique take on the intersectionality with autism and trauma disorders. And we do a lot of work around equal access for education, specifically higher education for adults, and also providing different types of peer support for people that are just trying to navigate the neurotypical world, which can be very hard (laughs) to do.
0: Okay, so let's talk a little bit about this intersectionality piece that you mentioned before. Um, So, I've worked with other people uh, talking about this overlap, and some of it came from my own observation with doing some trauma informed yoga training. And it was specifically geared towards veterans, that particular training. And I was hearing a lot of information that was like, wait, this sounds really familiar, and this overlaps a lot with. Um, you know, the autistic community that I work with. And so what? what's up here? You know what I mean? There's something definitely here. And um, so I'm curious about your work and what, you know, about that overlap and that intersectionality.
1: Definitely. You know, that's actually something really common. Uh, a lot of times when people think of trauma, post-traumatic stress disorder, they automatically think, veterans. It's always associated with the military. But really, it's something that anyone can have. It doesn't mean you have to go to war to have it. It just involves if you have uh, neglect, abuse of any kind, uh, you can have PTSD. There are different types of layers to that. Complex PTSD is the difference in between those is with complex, it means you've had sustained trauma. So whatever that looks like, it's not just one occurrence happening, it is over a long period of time that you have multiple traumas or the same one happening over and over again. And specifically being autistic, that can also add another layer with that intersectionality because it is a vulnerable population. So when you're autistic, it really opens you up to predators, honestly especially if you are in a home environment that has a lot of push to make you a, in quote" normal child, it can cause a lot of traumas to occur. Uh, It's something that's a sad reality that the autistic community is targeted a lot. And sometimes you grow up in a home that's not open to neurodivergencies in general so there's a lot of pressure to change your autistic traits and force a certain type of action upon you so so there's really different layers you can have external external traumas happening on top of the fact that sometimes people look at autism as a bad thing and it just adds a whole yeah layer of and so, so you've
0: a lot in there that my brain is like you know spinning um, so I want to look at that. I know we're talking about the workplace, but I think where we might be headed is that, you know, what you experience as you're growing up and through education, whether, you know, it's in your family situation or in you know other outside education, um, will then transfer over into the workplace. Right. So, um, I'm, I'm curious, I don't think we've actually talked about this and you, you hit on a point where families want their autistic children to be. Um, You know, we'll put it in quotes again, you know, normal or like the typical children that um, they see, you know, other typical children that they see. Um, So what does that really look like? Right. Because I've talked to some parents who are saying, yes, but there's self-injurious behavior and there's, you know, they're suffering and I don't want my kid to suffer. I don't want my kid to get bullied and stick out. So there's like that side. And then there's the other side of you know what what I've talked about is we don't want to you know chisel away at the square peg to fit a round hole when we want to appreciate the square peg, right? Like that's a whole nother thing. so so can you help us like understand what you what you mean by that?
1: Yeah, definitely. So growing up, I'll just use my personal experience with this. so First of all, when you mention self-injurious behavior, when you're autistic, you may have a lot of sensory issues. Personally, uh, we are diagnosed with sensory processing disorder. So for us, we actually don't feel pain how you would feel pain. If we're injured, we can have a break, a, a broken bone. We can have a burn and we won't even notice it it will be like, oh, I burned my hand. Okay. And that's a sensory issue. So it happens a lot of times in our experience growing up, but also with other people that we know that have children that are autistic is there's that disconnect between, oh, my my kid is banging their head on a wall. Well, there's a sensory overload happening. It, it's not about this self-injurious behavior it's about the cause and the cause is you have to learn your child in order to navigate the sensory issues that they have everyone's unique with what their sensory issues look like and and that's also part of the exploration is figuring out okay Rough textures, soft textures, okay, loud noises are triggering them right now. Uh, Can we get types of earplugs? Is pressure good to like calm the sensory nerves down for them? It's really exploring ways to work within Mm -hmm. it and just being angry or saying, stop doing that is not not actually going to help. And a lot of times it turns into a forced thing uh, when you mentioned parents not wanting their kid to be bullied and wanting their kid to kind of like blend in with their neurotypical peers i'm just gonna be blunt hate to break it to you that's not gonna happen (laughs) that's not a thing You, you can't really do that um when you're forced to put on a mask, and it's called masking, when you're you're taught to subdue your natural inclinations of your autistic traits in order to conform to what a neurotypical child looks like, it's damaging to you. You can never really be yourself, and there's a lot of emphasis put on being like everyone else, but in reality, yeah, and that I've does also, more damage I've also,
0: than good. also, spoken with people who say, you know, no matter how much one tries to mask, um, you know, they, you know, you feel different. Other people recognize that you're different, and and in honestly, I mean, honestly, I think everyone is putting on some sort of mask all the time. And we, if we can kind of put some of that down then it allows space for everyone to kind of just be who they are, I think, in my opinion. But yeah.
1: Well, yeah, definitely. And there's really different levels to it. And, And that's true. People in their everyday life, you have a mask you put on to go to work. You have a mask you put on to go to school or go out with friends. But when you're autistic, it's really a more intense level that's expected of you because social norms just don't make sense a lot of the time. Uh, Personally, it took us until we were 24 years old to be able to make eye contact with somebody and maintain it for longer than 10 minutes because it's uncomfortable. Uh, It really can be overwhelming and emotionally draining to have to try to match a neurotypical person with affect, how you say things, making eye contact, just sitting and talking with you now, just because it's, it's a habit been masking for so long, it's been pounded into our head, literally as words come out, I'm like, okay, have I looked in her eyes long enough? Have I said this correctly? Did I say that too direct? Like it's constantly going. And it's something that is really exhausting for autistic people to do. And you're not able to really be yourself authentically because you're putting so much effort yeah, in trying and I also to have make other people that some of that is also
0: um, a trauma response as well. So I I have I I kind of do the same thing. I as I'm speaking and as I'm talking to people, I think about, "Oh, did I say that properly?" or "What am I what's the next thing I'm going to say? How am I going to say it next?" And it, there's sort of this continuous um, uh, what's there's a word for this, but it's sort of like a hypervigilance around what you're saying, how you're saying it, am I going to fit in? Am I going to upset someone? So it depends, I guess, what your particular layers of, uh, of trauma experience are um, on which ones those are going, right? Like which one's going to get tweaked a little bit.
1: Exactly. And you really nailed that good when you said hypervigilance because that is a big part of PTSD and CPTSD is it's sometimes you're assessing the level of safety. So you're trying to figure out if this interaction is safe. And being autistic, you won't always be able to pinpoint certain red flags as fast. So when you couple those two together, it's even more exhausting. Cause it's like, okay, this person just kind of did a weird body movement. I feel unsafe. Am I reading that wrong? Or am I actually unsafe right now? Uh, and, and so it really, and with trauma, especially looking at the workplace, it makes it even more complicated because you're expected to put on this mask of what is considered neurotypical professionalism. But at the same time, there can be dangers for you. On the trauma side, there can be dangers for you at work. And there's dangers for you because when you're autistic, sometimes, especially if you disclose that, we always disclose that immediately. We're very open about it right up in the interview. <laughs> it's like autistic. Hi, nice to meet you. Like, let's do this. But that can also kind of put a target on your face for people that are toxic and people that are not necessarily safe to be around in the workplace. And and that can be very hard to deal with, especially Adding the trauma on it, there's a lot of triggers that can happen at work. Yeah, so I want to talk about that a bit because you hit together. on something. I
0: actually just did a, an employment panel with three um, three people on the spectrum, and um, we were talking about you know this this concept of disclosure was one. It was for a it was for a particular client group, but but we were talking about well, how much do you disclose? And you know, I appreciate you saying that. I I disclose right up front in the interview. Um, Some of the feedback that I've been receiving has been saying, no, don't disclose because people will look at you differently or and and I guess just what you said, right? Like it's like it can be added an added layer. And for people who are toxic or who may not understand what that might look like, it can be an unsafe space or maybe both sides feel a little unsafe because they don't know how to behave, right? Or what to do.
1: Disclosure is kind of one of those things where it's really personal preference and what you're comfortable with. Personally, we always disclose because it's helped us avoid bad workplaces by saying it up front. Uh, but again, sometimes people aren't comfortable disclosing that because then it, it causes a lot of layers of complications that are hard for people to deal with. And and that's a real thing. It's like when you disclose something, there's going to be walls that come up for you. So it, it's really just measuring your personal preference of what can you handle. One of the things with disclosure that has been a positive for us is getting accommodations is easier if they know right away who they're hiring and sometimes disclosing later people will be like well you look fine you don't like you you don't look like you need this why are you asking for this six months later it it can really be off-putting for people and so for us we find just getting it out of the way like ripping the band-aid off is easier but also too A lot of times when we are talking with people, we kind of use it as a test to see what kind of workplace culture do you have. So if we walk in and we're interviewing with a potential supervisor and we say, okay, so we're autistic. How much experience do you have working with people that are autistic? Mm
0: -hmm. Usually it
1: shocks people to just have it that direct. But you can tell by their answer. And there have been places where the answer was not good enough. And we were like, we're not interested. Thank you for your time. And we end the interview because we already know, not a place we want to work. But then there's a lot of stigma around being neurodivergent in general. And so you really have to be mentally prepared to self-advocate at the workplace especially if you disclose right away, or have an advocate that can support you through the process because there will be people that are going to use that as a reason to be mean to you and sabotage your work and make it difficult ask intrusive questions It is just really kind of comes with the territory of being transparent Mm, at the workplace and it shouldn't be that way yeah but that is so as we overlay this
0: onto the workplace specifically um, and i know we started talking about that what kind of um you know i'm thinking about all the things you mentioned earlier about sort of the social you know implications and also just I would say, you know, management style plays a huge part into this and also just being transparent in what kind of work style an employee wants, you know, like all of those things. And I I really I love how, um, you know, just being upfront right at the beginning and seeing what the answer is. And I would, you know, I would hope that the answer should be either yes we have experience this is how we have experience and this is what you know we can do or we can work together to talk about that or no i actually don't have experience but i'm willing to work with you and figure it out i mean i would hope that those would be the answers that that you get right
1: <laughs> you know that okay, is good, actually a story time. So, uh, one of the situations that we had happen was we did an interview and disclosed, and we were we got the no, I don't have experience with that, but willing to be open minded about it, right? And then that was the response. And we're like, okay, okay, that's fine. So we start working there, and later on after working there for a while, there was a conversation with a supervisor and they said, I almost didn't hire you because you said you were autistic. But I'm glad I did, but I wasn't going to hire you because when you said that, it made me panic because I don't want to hire a person that potentially can't do this job because they're autistic. So even though they say they're open-minded at the beginning months later find out wasn't really that open-minded and was just kind of like, okay, well, let's give it a try, but I don't know if it's going to work out. So even when you get certain responses from people, you never truly know if they are doing professional masking or if they're actually being authentic and telling you what they really think about it. And on the flip side of that, You can also have people that are super excited, like, yes, I want to work with someone neurodivergent, someone that's autistic, let's do this. But then they kind of start to, uh, I call it fangirling. You know, like you have your favorite actor and you're like, oh, my God. And people do that when you're autistic. People will do that. They'll be like, oh, my God. So tell me everything about being autistic. Or they'll be like, oh, hey, I know this person that's autistic that like lives five (laughs) states away. Do you know them? And so it can be an awkward balance. And sometimes it goes that extreme. And other times it goes to... People that are sabotaging your work on purpose or using your autism as an excuse to be like, oh, well, they were on this project with me and it didn't get done right. Well, they're the ones that are autistic. So, of course, it's their fault. And and so there's really so much stigma around being autistic and people are honestly just very closed minded and aren't willing to be flexible to learn something different. A lot of your life being autistic is being told that you need to catch up to everyone else, but they're never told to catch up to you. So
0: so with that said, what can, you know, I I know we have a lot of um, educators and we have clinicians that listen in and, um, and parents, and we've talked a little bit about that, but what, what can we do to kind of help this? I know like in the ideal world, I, I would love to see a workplace that was, completely open and managers that, you know, are open to hearing what everyone has to say and saying, look, we'll figure it out. We'll work together. I just really like your skill set and I really like what you bring to the table and the other stuff we can figure out. That's how I've always worked. But I know that that's not a normal, not necessarily a normal paradigm for a lot of places. It also depends on the type of work that's being done. Um, So what can we do to help with that?
1: So, number one, definitely agree with you, Uh, I'm a realist, (laughs) I'm not very much, I'm not an idealist at all, and in reality, yeah, that is, we are not there yet. Would it be nice to be able to be there for the workplace? Yes, it's not, it's not even close, not even close. The best way to be an ally to the autistic community is to listen to the autistic community. When there are things said about what it's like being autistic, what isn't okay to say to someone that's autistic, it's really listening to that voice. A lot of times people will take the word of healthcare practitioners over the actual autistic person. And that silences the voices of a lot of people that are trying to tell you, this is not okay, let's fix it together. And being willing to accept that, Being autistic isn't a bad thing. Your child isn't broken. That is something that's really hard for a lot of people. Personal experience have experienced that of being viewed as broken, as the problem. And your child is perfect the way they are, and it's navigating to make their world good for them and not focusing so much on the external people. And as an autistic adult, 100% life would have been hugely and vastly different had that been the situation that I grew up in. And for healthcare practitioners specifically, it's understanding that, yes, you may have the clinical view of this, but there's more involved than just what it says in the DSM. It's more than that. And it's being willing to look outside of social norms and realize that someone that's autistic can have the exact same result as a neurotypical person. They might have a different way of doing it, but you're gonna get the same thing. You're gonna get quality work. You're gonna get a student that excels in what they are good at. And you're gonna get a child that is happy and is able to thrive because they have now, would support
0: you say, I mean, I, I, I a thousand percent agree with everything that you've just said. <laughs> um and it's it's they are conversations that I've had, um both with people and also uh, on, you know, in the in the podcast. Um, I also feel like having those conversations and being open and supportive with family and educators, again, starting much younger, as you said, creates a more, uh, more resiliency. I think it creates more independence, more self-awareness. And then when you get to a place where you're a young adult and you're going into the workplace or going into other schooling or whatever, you can then ask for those things. Like you can ask for what you need. Um, I, I think, I mean, I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that?
1: So asking for what you need, again, is a little idealistic (laughs) because you're probably not going to get it without a fight. You're probably not going to get it without a fight. So today, in today's world, even if you have a supportive family, it's really a a big piece of the professional spaces and educational spaces are not necessarily going to agree with a supportive environment. So getting accommodations in education, getting accommodations at work, it's a fight specifically because when you are autistic, people can't just see it. They can't just see that you're autistic. They want to see a cane. They want to see someone in a wheelchair that is what they connect with accommodations and so when you have trauma disorders or any other type of neurodivergency people expect you to not ask so then when you do sometimes the first answer you get is no and you have to jump through a lot of hoops in order to actually get accommodations in our education it took us for one accommodation it took us about six months (laughs) just just to get one and this is in yeah. higher education which is the is worse than mm. it's it's a very it's inaccessible it's inaccessible for people that are autistic and you have to deal with a lot of negative things in order to push through and to break those barriers down for yourself because you'd like to think that educators and professionals want their employees and students to thrive But it (laughs) It doesn't doesn't
0: create too much work. Right. Exactly.
1: For
0: them. Yeah. Yeah. No. Exactly. I have found that in those some of those circumstances, um, it's it's it has been more successful when a a student, you know, I'm going to speak specifically for education, but when a student actually works with individual professors or individual teachers and asks for what might be helpful or kind of brainstorms with them. But again, you have to be willing to have an open teacher and someone who's willing to not worry about what's written on a piece of paper, or maybe doesn't even, you know, maybe doesn't even exist. And I think it's similar in an employer. If you have you know, an open manager or an open workplace or HR where you can just talk about it, it makes it easier. But again, I think, um, it's it's a situational basis and managers change too. So <laughs> that could can...
1: Well, yeah, and, and the thing about it too, just to looking at with, when you're saying asking for it, one of the things that we say to people is, why does someone that is autistic have to ask for equality? Because that's really what it is and when you are getting accommodations in education and the workplace it's under the ada they are legally bound to provide equal access to you in these places and it really shouldn't be too much of a conversation unless well let me like be honest if you are asking for an accommodation, a trip to the Bahamas does not count. Like that is not right. Like you might like that, but like, that is not a reasonable, that's not a reasonable request. But if you're going to your employer and you're saying, Hey, I need to start wearing earplugs because the noise is too much for me, or I need to get some sunglasses, I need to wear them indoors because the lights are too much for me. They're causing problems for me. Those are things that are reasonable, but those are honestly the things that people will fight the most. And it's really the reality of of different places, but when somebody comes to you and asks for something, it really shouldn't have to be an ask. It should be a here's what I need and then the employer says, okay, no problem. Because it's all about having equal access to the same things that the neurotypical right. no, I, employees I like or that, students have access to. Perspective,
0: <laughs> definitely. Um, and so I'm thinking about we were talking about trauma and and I, and I I think this these were your words, autistic trauma, which I think can be a little bit um, if we're and again with complex trauma, you know, there's different layers. There can be part that's you know the the autism, I will say, and some that is other, you know, other things, other real world. I mean, I, in studying trauma, it's almost like, wait, is it everyone has had traumatic experiences in their life. And again, some of it is sustained, like complex trauma, and some of it is an experience or, you know, maybe isolated experiences. Um, but I, But I often hear from clinicians and from educators, it's like, well, how how can i how do i know the difference like and i i feel like there is a different way of working with someone depending on what it is so so and i know in our in our you know our pre conversation we talked a little bit about the difference and so if you can can help me and listeners understand you know what that difference is or at least a little bit of it that would be super helpful i think
1: mm-hmm. so one of the things I uh, will preface with is we feel the word trauma is thrown around too much and too often. And it does lose some of the the meaning of what that is. And it is something that causes people to overlook things at times. So one of the things I guess I'm gonna divide it into two things. So autistic trauma versus having CPTSD, just because that's our experiences with CPTSD. So growing up uh, in our childhood, we were raised in a Christian-based cult. It was restrictive. We were sexually abused. We were physically abused. We had a lot of negative things. That was throughout our childhood until we were actually able to escape that world in our 20s. It was a long time. And that was only the one half of the the trauma that we experienced. That is something that is the reason that we have DID. It's the reason for a lot of our mental health struggles, it's all because of that sustained trauma. But then when you add on top of that being autistic, those are really two separate experiences. So on one hand, we have a lot of physical trauma, emotional trauma, neglect on, on this side, But then at the same time, we're being sent to therapy to change how we behave. We're going to occupational therapy because back when we were a child, we did not ABA didn't exist yet. So it was you go to your physical therapist, you go to your occupational therapist and they're teaching you, Okay, you have to make eye contact with me now. And they make you stare in their eyes for 10 minutes or nope, you can't stim like that. You need to stop doing that like they're they're pounding into your head stop doing this because it's bad it's bad to fidget it's bad to rock when you're sitting it's bad to mimic what people are saying or make sounds when you're in the middle of a meeting and they're pounding that in your head so I guess those that would be the best way I would describe the two differences is you will you have the emotional and physical trauma that comes with things like sexual abuse, but then you have them telling you that every single thing about you is wrong. Everything that comes naturally to you is wrong. No, you can't wear earplugs because you look weird if you do that. Or if you say, uh, one of the experiences for us was we are very sound sensitive. And growing up, that was a problem. So we would say like, please stop yelling. And the response is, I'm not yelling. You want to hear me yell? And so then they're triggering your sensory issues, which is then completely right. flipping your world upside down. And and so then again, like you said, there are different levels to it. Our case is a lot more on the extreme side than some people's may be, or it could be the same for a lot of people. But when you're you're getting double traumatized growing up and then when you move into a workplace, not only are you dealing with the symptoms of having post-traumatic stress disorder, but then you're again having all of the traumas that occurred because you're autistic repeated in adulthood consistently.
0: You know, it's interesting because I think the other thing I I think of and you mentioned being sound sensitive, um, you know, I. Do you feel, and, and this is just more of a, a curiosity on my point in hearing other people talk and some reading, but um, the way is I would say, particularly sensory wise, the way um, information is received sensory wise, it can be magnif- magnified, right? I think, in the autistic population, or like you mentioned before with like pain sensations, it can be under, uh, under responsivity to those types of things, which I think. I feel like that can create its own um, its own traumatic experience, and it is repeated, like you were saying before. So, adding to that complexity of always a particular light in in my room, or always particular sounds coming from the heating system, or something like that. I, and and other people will dismiss that as being well, that's always like that, or I don't even hear that. What are you talking about? <laughs> or I don't smell that. What are you talking about? Um, so, so, I mean, I don't know, what, what do you think is having been in, I guess, on both sides, is that also an experience that you have or have you found others to have like that?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, sensory processing issues and auditory processing are very common within the autistic community and it'll present differently for everyone. Like you said, some are hyposensitive, some are hypersensitive to different things, but sound, lighting, smells, that is something like very common. Like uh, I can hear my refrigerator through these, like I can hear my refrigerator right now. It makes a sound. Whereas someone will be like, "I totally do, by the way, (laughs) talking about like, and it can, (laughs) right. Like that, that electrical humming sound that's just continuous. And, and so that is something that people will say, oh, you're just being too sensitive. You're just being too sensitive. You just quit being dramatic. Quit looking for attention. Quit trying to make a big deal out of something. And when really it drains you all day long. Uh, previously, when we worked in an in office environment, the biggest thing for sound was being seated next to two different offices. So we were getting sound from two sides at all times. And we started wearing noise canceling earphones. And it was so funny because we had this conversation with a supervisor (laughs) and they walked in and we have like these big shooting range (laughs) mufflers on. And they're like, they're like, like motioning, like take that off, take those off, and and we're like, no, go ahead, just we can talk to us, we can hear you, and they were like, you can hear me through those, <laughs> and we were, it's like, yeah, better actually because I'm wearing them, <laughs> it, it, and that's something that helped cope with the sound. It's like people don't realize it's like when you are hypersensitive to sound as an autistic person you can have earplugs in and still hear the person in front of you talking. It doesn't disrupt anything that you're doing. It doesn't disrupt your functionality. As somebody working, you can you can still hear them. It actually makes it better <laughs> because it drowns out all the noise that you're constantly hearing. And one of the, the things when it comes to trauma and being at work is specifically with the sound piece of it. So, we had people at work that would trigger our noise sensitivity on purpose. So they would purposely talk louder when they are near my office, or they would purposely yell from a short distance to make make you jump, just like startle you. And they're like, oh, it's a prank. Which honestly, in a workplace, it has no place, period. It's like we're all adults, and yet you're not acting like one. However, <laughs> like you're not acting like one right now. And, and so that is something that people experience. Sometimes people want to test your limits. So they might trigger a sound, or they will uh, – we had someone put a flashlight in our eyes once, and they were like, oh, we just wanted that to sounds see Sounds like That sounds like fifth-grade type of uh... – Just. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly, and honestly, in the workplace, it's sadly common to have people trigger. Yeah. On so
0: that that adds another level of um, kind of managing in the workplace. What would you suggest? And I'd say I know we're kind of getting close to time here, but for adults who are entering into the workforce or already, you know, already in the workforce. Um, mm-hmm. What are some suggestions on kind of navigating some of that type of behavior um, or, you know, or other ideas that you have? I know we've talked about a a few things, but um, but yeah, anything that you think would be helpful?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think the biggest thing is don't care if people like you or not. (laughs) don't care if people like you you don't deserve to be treated that way whatsoever and just because you are autistic doesn't give them a right to push on your boundaries and it can be hard to stand up for yourself and if that is something that you can't do because it's hard and it's scary then find someone that will be an ally and advocate and, and support and support you it is something where sometimes you just have to tell people no. You have to tell people leave my office right now. Walk away, please. Just walk away. And that is and it's okay. Sometimes you might have to walk away from a situation because it's overwhelming for you. When it comes down to it, your own mental well-being is more important than if you're popular at work. And a lot of times there's a lot of workplace politics. And When you're autistic, personally, because we're (laughs) autistic, we just don't play workplace politics. (laughs) It's not something that we do. It's not something that we care to do. And that has made us very isolated and not the most popular person at a workplace. But the difference is you do your job, you do your job well, and it won't matter if they like you or not. Because if you produce the result, then there you go um, there's a lot of social pressure at work. And if it's too much for mm-hmm. you, it's more remembering yeah. that you don't no, have to No, and I think that. that's the
0: ultimate, um, care there for yourself in recognizing. And again, a similar topic came up the other day where, um, you know, how do we, essentially some people were asking, well, how do we get people to, you know, how does it feel to conform to the situation? And everyone was saying the same thing. No, no, you don't conform. you, you, do what you need to do for, to do the job well, and if it's not the right place for you, it's also okay to not take the job. It's also okay to leave the job, um, even though, and, and that is true for, for most people. Have trouble walking away from you know pay, <laughs> but but it is important for your own well being to know that you have that that right and that you have that ability to make that choice for yourself to take care of yourself.
1: Yeah. And in any situation in the workplace, it's something that a lot of social pre-decided conformity rules has been put in place saying that like if your boss yells at you, you have to accept it. Or if someone harasses you at work, well, you just have to accept it. And it's really permeated society in a way that marginalized groups, like if you're neurodivergent, you're very easy to just be like, oh, that's just how I'm going to be treated when really it's standing up for yourself in a way that keeps yourself safe and realizing that if your boss is yelling at you, called you at 3 a.m. in the morning and is screaming at you because they wanted something done right then and it wasn't even time to be to work yet, you can hang up the phone. It's okay to cut off toxic people. And it can be really hard to find employment and then if you're having to leave because of a toxic work environment it adds that layer of financial stress but one of the things that we kind of go by ourselves is if I am working eight hours a day at this job and then when I come home I'm crying and I'm having a breakdown every single day am I really is it worth it to stay in that place is it worth it to put up with the workplace abuse that is occurring or is it better to take the financial hit and just work your butt off to get something else so that you can heal yourself and not have to be in that circumstance so it's really it's a personal decision but a lot of times it's just remembering that like you're valuable as a person and you are worthy of being treated Mm -hmm. I think that's a
0: beautiful way to end, actually, because I think that's a, I I really want to leave it on that note. So um, thank you so much for bringing your experience here. And um, I really enjoyed speaking with you today. Um, And if people want to learn more about you and your work, um, how can they find you?
1: Uh, The best way to find us would be on our website, which is TASThoughts.com. And all of our information is on Linktree as well. So you can find all our platforms there. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us on LinkedIn. And we're happy to. Thank you so much. And I will post all of that
0: in the description. And there will also be a transcript so people can find all that as well. So thank you so much and um, enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks. Bye. Me too. Thank you for
1: having
0: me. Thanks for listening to Autism in Real Life. This is Elia Walsh, and if you like the show, please hit subscribe so you can get notified each time a new episode is released. I also offer training, consultations, and parent coaching, and would love to help you in any way that I can. You can check out my offerings at thespectrumstrategy.com, and when you join my email list, you can get a code to receive a discount off of an online class or a coaching session. Looking forward to hearing from you. Take care and see you next time.